Do you want me to play the intro music? Oh, yeah, yeah, play the intro music. Okay. <laughs> Warm me up here. Okay, here we go. Welcome to Double Cuzzies, where two people who share 25% of their DNA and their entire extended families talk about life. Double cousins. It's like if Brian and Michael Votaggio married Hillary and Haley Duff and had kids. <laughs> so I was going to surprise you with an example. Oh, okay. Lay it on me. And and that was, I only got halfway and that was my... The Voltaggio brothers. The yes. Voltaggio brothers. And then I was very fixated on finding a sister matchup also in the culinary or food industry. Yeah. And no Google searches, search results. No, I, yeah. Rachel Ray has a sister, but she's not famous or mm. well known. So she's the Antonia Kidman of the, the Ray family. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the same <laughs> yeah yeah i couldn't find anybody food related and padma doesn't have any siblings so i figured the voltagios and the duffs it's a good match a good- yeah and like hillary duff is in that reboot of how i met your mother called how i met your father and so mm-hmm. what if that story was just like how she met brian or michael <laughs> voltagio and then sets up to her sister with the other brother and then they had double cousins <laughs> Anybody watching that would be like, wait, this is not what I was expecting from this series whatsoever. I'm I'm surprisingly delighted by it. That's what they would, that's what the reaction would be. Did you see the did you see the uh, the news story about the twin identical twin brothers who married identical twin sisters and then both had kids like either the same day or I don't think they had twins, but their kids are cousins but genetically they share as much dna as siblings Ooh, that's weird hopefully those kids start a podcast the kicker <laughs> is that they also live together Ooh, what yeah what <laughs> so i mean <laughs> we're not that <laughs> no. No, no judgment they... but a lot of judgment <laughs> okay kaylee would you like to give us the intro for this week's episode and why yeah. we were both so aligned on, on the, the hypothetical uh, siblings that we were going to bring up. Yeah, so this week we are talking about the importance of food in our family, how it's linked to our memories, how we bond over food, and how we think about food and incorporate it into our adult lives nowadays. So I think something really special about our family is that, I don't know if it'd be special or unique, we always congregate together typically over a meal or central to a meal so I feel like it's very common in our family for everybody to be thinking forward to oh what are we going to eat when we get together or like during the holidays if there's just like a casual afternoon gathering it's like oh what type of food are we going to have so we're a very food-centric family there's almost no family get-togethers that don't involve food of some sort I would say yeah Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of any that don't involve food. <laughs> <laughs> and even if it's something casual, I remember over Christmas, we were just like hanging out and your mom brought out like seven bags of chips. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We are a snacking family through and through. And I think that it's even if it's not a planned family celebration or get together of some sort, 
somehow it just appears out of nowhere where it's oh somehow we have a party for 14 people and all of this food is here and and none of it was really planned as a party it was just (laughs) us getting together but this came together nicely so yeah i think food is very central in our family and i think that is probably something that's pretty common within asian cultures too because i know Mm -hmm. that a lot of asian americans and other asians who i've met they have similar stories about their families and their upbringings as well Yeah, so with that in mind, Emily, I wanted to ask you just to go deeper into how do you think of food in relation to our family or in relation to your personal self? So I think food in relation to our family, like you covered a lot of it already that I think it's very integral to a lot of the get-togethers that we have. And I think that it's very much a love language that's used in our family. And and when I think about the very memorable times of using, you know, food as an expression of care for somebody else. I remember when when grandpa was sick several years ago, my mom made it a point to make him a different soup every single week because she knew that he liked soup and that was a very good way of, you know, getting all of the nutrients and it was and he really liked the, the traditional Chinese soups and she made it a point of doing that. And I think that we see that from our grandparents and from our parents. And of course like when we were kids growing up and we would get sick, it was always my mom would make me a bowl of juk or she'd make something that was very soothing. Uh, and so I think that I always equate food with sort of uh, love and expression of love and care. And I definitely see that in my own adult life, too, of trying to make sure that I'm taking care of myself <laughs> by eating things uh, that are nutritional, like trying to make sure as I get older and especially as I have kids, too, that I'm making sure to have healthy foods in my life. I think that's another thing, too, is like in our family. They, I think we had really good childhoods where we had a good mix of fun foods, but then also for the most part, very well-rounded and healthy diets. And so mm. grew, grew Maybe up. We, we, we might differ in our childhoods. Maybe, yeah. So mine anyways, I always remember it being very filled with snacks. And then I always remember it being a shared connection with my mom and myself of all of these different kinds of very quote unquote quote foreign Asian snacks that you don't see in the regular grocery stores. And so I felt exposure to that as a young kid was really eye-opening too. I I get a peek into what my mom's childhood was like, even though Mm -hmm. her childhood was so different than mine. Yeah, but those things, I feel like they were so common in our households that they were just really normal to us. It wasn't like, ooh, this is weird. It's just like, our parents had these, they're always in our pantry, so this is something that I grew up around and loved as a child and as an adult now too. Yeah, so it's like whatever the origin of it, it was just seen as a childhood snack. Mm -hmm. The cultural or ethnic background of it really wasn't ever present for sure. It was just like, oh, Mm -hmm. these are good. And I think that we were lucky that we had exposure to it and that we we got to try all these different things. Yeah, because I think a lot of kids didn't. But yeah, what would you say, though? What do you think of like food in relation to our family and yourself, too, as an adult? Yeah, I would say just going back to the way that our family gathers around food and makes food for each other, it's really this like implicit expression of caring for each other. Our family, we're not very prone to saying I love you to each other very often or often at all. But when somebody prepares a a meal with care, I feel that from when grandpa and grandma would make steak dinners to get everybody together to when, you know, just the great stuff that your mom makes for the holidays and my mother as well. I feel like it's this emotional expression in our family because we don't always have the words for it, but the action of it is very, is very felt and important. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the big thing 
for me, how I see it in our family. And I think we we also have a lot of great cooks in our family and it's just fun to gather around food and what are you going to make? What are you going to bring? And I think for me personally, food is a very intimate expression and intimate thing to share with somebody because you're literally creating something with your mind and your hands and you're feeding it to somebody. It's going into their body. <laughs> you're you're so. physically feeding it to them. <laughs> We're just like a baby bird. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, you should see our family dinners. They're wild. It's, it's just Kalia literally feeding me food. <laughs> no, but I think that's very special. Yeah. It's, I may see it on a more intricate level in that sense, but I, I definitely, in my adult life and as I cook more and put more care into the food that I make, I, I feel a different connection with it. So it's, I put time into this and hopefully that shows when I share these dishes with friends or family or during certain gatherings. So I think our, our family too has a lot of respect for food in that sense. Definitely. Yeah. And I think because we are so interested in it and have such an appreciation for it, I can recall that when we would we would think about these recipes or particular dishes that certain people in the family make, um, especially when it comes to Popa of like special dishes that she makes and how to recreate those. And so there's a big effort of crystallizing what those recipes are or like documenting that. And so that we mm-hmm. have that as something to be able to use for years to come uh, and to pass on to the next generation too. Because I think that a lot of times, like a lot of these memories, they are so connected to food. And so by conjuring up that food or those dishes, we are able to conjure up that memory as well. I think you and I were very interested in the process of it too. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this meal is just plopped down in front of us. But I remember watching my mom cook. I remember seeing Popo cook and being very curious about it and just Mm -hmm. absorbing everything that was going on. So I think being around that puts a different depth to the feeling and a different understanding and appreciation too of that process and what goes into it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think we're really lucky to have had that example too and exposure to that of somebody on a very regular basis cooking something and the mm-hmm. thought process that goes through like buying all of the ingredients and mm-hmm. how you prepare them. And I think we were both very interested in watching a lot of food cooking shows growing up too, back in the early days before even like Food Network was a thing and, and, and like taking cooking classes together as kids. And so I think like it's always been and it's been interesting to see like how it's uh, expanded, I think, as we've become adults. So mm-hmm. I think I watched Food Network probably more just as much as I watched like cartoons and kids programming mm-hmm. when I was younger. Yeah, so. And I think that's given me a lot of confidence in cooking in my adult life because I know how things are supposed to look or just visually how to cut things or keep a nice space and keep things organized. I think that really helped develop, helped me develop into the chef that I have <laughs> these days. <laughs> but I did absorb a lot and it, it was you know, subconscious. It was just cool entertainment for me at the time, but yeah, you can go on about Food Network for a whole half. Well, I don't think that you realize how much you absorb, though, until you are with somebody or you're cooking with somebody who isn't as familiar with it. And, and mm-hmm. then it's, hey, can you chop this onion for me? Like, you think that would be like a, a simple, common thing that most people would know how to do. 
But mm-hmm. if you're not, if you don't grow up cooking or, you know, preparing food for yourself or really watching any sort of, any of these sort of videos or te- technique videos, then it's a completely foreign concept. And so I think that it's, it, it, we are really lucky where we have this informal education in it growing up, but that we also took an interest in learning it. Going back to food in our family, though, we talked a little bit about the importance of certain dishes and stuff, but what are some traditions or, or particular dishes that stick out in, in your memories? Mm-hmm. For me, tamales during Christmas is a big one. Mm-hmm. That's not typical for Asian families, but our family has pretty deep roots in Phoenix. That comes up on Christmas Eve. That's something that our parents experienced growing up because they had a lot of Hispanic neighbors, so they would get tamales during Christmas, and that's something that grandma and grandpa always carried on, and we still carry on as a family during the holidays to this day. So that's pretty important to me. A lot of holiday foods, (laughs) because I think that's the most uniform. And then also just like every meal that Popo made, I think she would always make more traditional. And I've asked her, when did you first begin eating this? Or when did you first start cooking this? (laughs) We need to talk to her a little bit more about that because she can't always um, express it. But it's definitely things that like our parents on that side of the family grew up eating. And then when she would cook big meals, cook the same way like awesome curries, like great stew, the pork belly and the um, mustard greens. It's been so many years, I think, since Shopo has cooked one of these elaborate big family meals. And rightfully so, she has earned a rest <laughs> for sure. But I think like it has been so many years that I almost forgot the amount of prep. And because she would turn out these multi-course meals that is like restaurant quality and quantity Basically yeah. by herself. And so that was super yeah. impressive. It was funny. During um, Lunar New Year, a couple of weeks ago, we had a family dinner. My mom just got takeout for everybody. And we asked Popo what they would do in Malaysia during um, Chinese New Year. And she said she would cook in preparation for people circulating through their house mm-hmm. for an entire weekend. She said it would be like over 50 people. Yeah across multiple days so she would have to have or she would just have over a dozen dishes ready and she'd spend days preparing and then my dad and your mom said they would like uh, my dad would serve drinks to people and your mom would help popo in the kitchen so it was this whole big family affair but I think that just speaks to the power of food and bringing a community together and that's something that I love about it too it's something that can be conducive to learning about a culture and learning about you know, how somebody grew up or what they grew up around or the way their family was through the foods that they're used to or the foods that they know how to cook. That's something I I love about it. And it definitely comes across in our family in a very special way. And now a new segment by Double Cuzzies. So listeners, this is an activity that we're calling ASMR. And maybe we'll do this again, but just specifically for this episode, because we wanted to eat some stuff, right? <laughs> it's an excuse for us to snack during an episode essentially and record it which we do during most episodes i feel like yeah but... we just try to edit out if possible and now we're just putting it in the episode itself. yeah so, okay. in. so for this segment and avert your eyes i'm just closing <laughs> my eyes get that blindfold and <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah i can also just turn my camera off and i'm going to eat something i'm going to open something maybe and I'm going to eat mm. it, and then Kaylee is going to guess what it is. 
And she'll probably be wrong because how could she possibly guess that? <laughs> but it'll be fun to see. Okay, I'm going to go first because I'm hungry and or thirsty. So okay. camera off. Okay, I'm listening. Okay. Ooh, that's a can. <laughs> you are drinking something. <laughs> Okay. Very crunchy. I wouldn't say it's a potato chip crunch, though. It's something a little more dense. Mm. Keep eating. Okay, if you insist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing it's some type of large cracker because it's not snappy like i would i would guess a potato chip but Mm -hmm. it seems like it has more uh surface area like you're taking a bite not you're you're not putting a whole thing in your mouth Mm. and just chewing on that but does that speak more to the size of my mouth or the size of the bite (laughs) (laughs) size both actually okay Okay. so what's your guess for that one then um i would guess some type of like flavored cracker okay maybe like a big rice cracker or like a savory cracker you'd put cheese on (laughs) i can't guess the flavor from the noise that's the thing what you can't fail (laughs) kalia no it's impressive okay you're you're doing impressive job so far okay ready second snack okay that is definitely more of a one piece in the mouth crunch I love the analysis. <laughs> I would guess that is a chip or like a crunchy pretzel or those like pretzel chip things. <laughs> okay. Okay, now final snack. Okay. <laughs> that, I can't hear too much. I'm opening it right now. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. Here we go. <laughs> I can't do anything without laughing. Damn it. Damn it. I got it all over myself. <laughs> oh, no. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> no, I'm joking. A lethal drink. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> Fucking grass jelly? (laughs) Slurping something? (laughs) Okay. So grass jelly, pretzel chips. Grass jelly, pretzels or chips, and then some type of large cracker. The first thing was like a a canned drink. I didn't hear any fizz, but canned drink for sure. That was really impressive, Kaylee. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that says about me, that I can guess what you're eating just by the detailed sound that was it. really <laughs> impressive it's also that i'm a very expressive eater right? <laughs> <laughs> okay so for the drink it was a lemon spindrift okay okay so for the next two for the first snack and the second snack you're gonna kick yourself because <laughs> the first snack was pretzel chips ah, damn. you got it but you guessed it as the second one 
These are specifically everything style pretzel chips mm. that I was dipping in hummus. Mm. Okay. Second snack that you guessed was pretzel chips was actually slices of cucumbers, <laughs> which I was also dipping in the hummus. And then Sounds the delicious. third snack for a, a dessert uh, <laughs> that I almost died eating <laughs> was these little oh. fruit jelly cups. That if you're Asian, you will definitely know what I'm talking about. And if you're not Asian, you might. And I'd be interested to know if you know what I'm talking mm. about. Like very firm jello in a single in a served t- cup. It's like a jello <laughs> shot with no alcohol in it, essentially. <laughs> if you could figure out a way to inject alcohol into it, it'd probably be perfect mm-hmm. for adults. Got these from my neighbor because she gave them for, to my kid. And I have to take them out and give them to him in a bowl because I'm like, these are a choking hazard. They are designed to be inhaled, and so yes. So as you could as you could hear, I almost died doing it. So, so yeah. Those and those little uh, long pill shaped candies from like tebanyaki restaurants. (laughs) Yes, yeah, that look like little pieces of glass rods, basically. Mm -hmm. But they are delicious. But then you get the blue ones, and you think that it's like blue raspberry, but then it's mint, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so. you'll never forget the time in your life when you're a child and accidentally swallow one of those whole. <laughs> Clearly you won't forget that. No, I never forgot it. You never, never forgot. Hashtag never, hashtag never forget. Never forget. <laughs> Teppanyaki restaurant candies. <laughs> oh man. So many good Asian candies though. Okay. We'll get into Kalia, do you want to eat your snack now? Yeah, I don't have as many, but let me okay. turn my camera off. Okay, I'm gonna take this. Can you? <laughs> this okay. is my drink. Okay. Hmm. That was an interesting drink. It's some sort of like a. Oh. This is the container it's in. That the first sound was. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's hot. <laughs> okay. And then this is my snack. Oh, really crunchy. Okay, another one. Oops. Putting them into a bowl. Ooh, I'm not going to be as good at this as you are. <laughs> Is it those little, like, mochi crisp bite nugget things? <laughs> what were oh, you, you're thinking, like, the crunchy oh, like, mochi things yeah. from, like, Trader Joe's? Yeah. The ones with the little, it's like a mochi rock band on the <laughs> back. Yes. That they were called, what, Maki? <laughs> <laughs> Maki. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard, white people. It's mochi. <laughs> it's mochi. <laughs> I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me. Do you hear me? Am I good? <laughs> okay. So it's not Maki Bites. Because if not it was Maki bites. bites, you would have said it just was, it was Maki Bites. Okay, so that was that was a drink and two snacks. 
That was no, that was just a repeat of the snack. <laughs> you just have one snack? Yeah. Okay. Are you eating are you eating oh, fall think... leaves? No. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just did some raking are in my backyard. Are you eating Hey, do you want me to reveal or mm, I want to at least guess. <laughs> okay. Are you eating wasabi peas? Mm. Close. Are you drinking a Pellegrino soda? <laughs> no, your first guess on guess on the temperature of the drink was correct. Oh, okay. So, yeah, because you were taking. I mean, I don't know how far you, you can get. Taking a lid off stuff. of it, and then is it a matcha latte? <laughs> <laughs> Close. Okay. Close. Reveal. Okay, I'm gonna reveal. Just a second, I spilled all over. <laughs> Apparently, neither of us can like consume food and beverage while also recording. <laughs> We're covered in like okay. the juice from the little jelly cup. Can you see me? Yes. I was taking the lid off of the thermos. Ah, uh, see. And then I have hot tea in here. Mm, that was deceiving because I thought it yeah. was like a the container that you purchased it in. Mm, no. Okay. okay. And then I, I'm surprised you didn't get this. Pistachios. Oh. And then I was taking the shell off, which you may have mistaken for the actual eating. I would never so, yeah. have gotten that. Fall leaves. <laughs> so you started by crushing fall leaves and then eating nuts. <laughs> and then putting them into pistachio shells. <laughs> well, mm. that was fun. Yeah. Hopefully that was fun for our viewers, listeners. Our listeners. <laughs> You know, it's funny because I feel like there's certain dishes where growing up, I thought that they were either unique to our family or specifically Asian because mm -hmm. our family made them for every holiday usually. And so that was like a little bit confusing to me when I grew up and I moved away and I would start talking to somebody about it and they would be like, oh yeah, we have that. Or, oh yeah, that's a weird dish. But <laughs> Ambrosia is one of them, mm. <laughs> where I think you've definitely carried on the torch from that one of, I remember <laughs> that, I think it was Auntie Susie, right? She would always, uh, great Auntie Susie, she would make a big bowl of ambrosia for any sort of holiday meal that we would have. And for listeners who aren't aware of what ambrosia is, Kalia, since you're the, the ambrosia chef now, do you want to mm. walk through what that, that dish is? <laughs> yeah. First, you begin by opening a bag of mini marshmallows. Also acquire a can of crushed pineapple and mandarin orange segments. Drain both of those cans, but leave a little bit of liquid in. <laughs> Mix them in with the mini marshmallows. Sprinkle some coconut. And to bring it all together, coat it all in sour cream. Uh -huh. The pièce de résistance. <laughs> and you just let it, let it marinate for 12 to 24 hours. It gets all floofy. And in it's... the refrigerator. Yes, yes. in the refrigerator. <laughs> And it sounds disgusting and it is, but it's when you have a big like Thanksgiving meal with all the savory stuff, it, it, our family always puts it on the side of all the savory dishes. So it's a nice uh, palate cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it was like, it's not a dessert. It's completely sweet. So it is like mm -hmm. a dessert. But the way that our family eats it, it's it's more of a marshmallow salad, I suppose. <laughs> It very uh, Lubies esque. Lubies, yes. <laughs> See, it conjures up all of these great memories. And yeah. so I used to associate ambrosia as this weird thing that our family used to eat and didn't realize that actually it's a very 
traditional dish in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize that there were a lot of other, actually, there's a lot of other Asian cultures that have something similar to it. In Filipino oh, really? culture, they have a dessert that's similar where it's like marshmallows and condensed milk mm. and different fruits mixed into it and like different jellies and stuff. Yeah. So it's an odd combination that you don't think would work, but when paired mm-hmm. with savory foods, it's just the excellent balance of savory and sweet. <laughs> I think for a while, too, on that note, things that we thought were, like, proprietary to to our family. For a long time when I was little, I thought that, like, we were the only ones who ate tamales on Christmas. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that, like, yeah, I thought that, too. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't, like, until I was probably, like, late elementary school, I just didn't think about it outside of our family. And I think it was, like, such a special thing and something that we got so excited about every mm-hmm. year that I was just like, oh, this is just our thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was a very well understood tradition that Christmas Eve is tamales and then opening presents from the extended mm-hmm. family. And then Christmas Day is opening presents from Santa and as smaller families and then Christmas dinner together. Mm-hmm. Like but, a traditional, pretty traditional Christmas dinner mm-hmm. with rice. <laughs> with an Asian flair, a hoisin turkey and with rice on the side. Yeah. yeah, I think our our holiday meals are definitely a reflection of the Asian American heritage and the blending of very American, traditional American things, but uh, with our own little yeah. twist on them. And I think that like ambrosia and then something when I think of tamales, having them with a grandma, she would always put, was it like cream of mushroom soup? Yeah, it was. Enchilada like- sauce <laughs> together as a sauce? Yeah, it was like this a- weird sauce that... I don't know if we've ever actually replicated it, it but it was, a, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that it wasn't was. very good, but I would eat it. But you have to but eat I it But I feel with like, it. like that and the ambrosia is very oven era thing, like yeah. woman cooking in the 50s. Like a weird jello thing with like lettuce in it, that kind of mm. era. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On that note, actually, that's reminding me on Jello. So a funny mm-hmm. anecdote in our family and a dish that I very much associate with my mother is she's known for making seven layer Jello. And I thought that I also thought that was an Asian thing. It is not. It's not not an Asian thing, but it's not specifically an Asian thing. But she is known for making that, and it's can be a very intricate process of mm-hmm. setting all of these different seven different layers of different color Jello. But the reason why I always think it's so funny and ironic and your mom actually wrote in a little anecdote I think to the Arizona Republic when we were younger telling this story because my mom is a fantastic cook like Mm -hmm. probably the best cook that I know and when she was pregnant uh, with me because I was a December baby they said oh you don't have to make anything for Christmas you're really pregnant like you just take it easy just bring something easy bring like a dessert and bring like jello or something she goes, oh, okay, I can do that. And so she she decided to make a jello mold, but she couldn't figure out how to get the fruit inside of the jello mold. And so she painstakingly took a knife and cut little slits in the jello mold and then inserted little pieces of fruit into it. And so when she brought it to the family dinner, it was like this completely butchered up like mound <laughs> of jello and fruits. And and then that's when they explained to her that oh this is you put it in before the jello sets actually. And I think it's because jello uh foreign concepts were not something that she grew up eating as a Very kid American. in Malaysia. Yeah, so I always want to find that really funny because it's gone from like that to now she is 
like known to bring jello and that it's something that she has perfected over the years too. In addition to the like really complicated dishes that she can make. It is, okay, and also Jello. <laughs> Those are the things that she's but known for. Seven layer Jello. She's it's very intricate. It's seven layers, and it's just beautiful. It looks like mm-hmm. a, a pristine piece of stained glass. But she's streamlined. She's done it so many times. She's just streamlined the process, and I think she can make it like super quickly now because she knows the timing exactly. exactly of everything. I think when the first time that she made it, it took her about three to four hours, and then <laughs> the second, and then now she can make it basically within an hour. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So. Do you remember the first time we tried to make it? <laughs> yes, I do. Remember that. <laughs> <It was> disgusting. <laughs> See, that was our experience. Like my mom had of like trying to cut, cut and slits into the Jello mold to stick it. Yeah, and I will never try to make it again. <laughs> yes, yeah. I luckily I persisted after that experience too, and I did get pretty good at making it. But yeah, the first time that we tried to make it as kids, trying to replicate it. I think all of the layers blended together and it ended up looking like congealed vomit. (laughs) (laughs) I think we made it in a pie tin. We made it in a metal pie tin for some reason. Because I think we were like on vacation. We were on a... We're in Flagstaff. Yeah, we were in Flagstaff. And it was like, this looks disgusting, but we'll just leave it in the fridge for now. And then we came back and Grandpa had eaten the entire pie tray of (laughs) Jell-O. Which I think speaks to the feeling in our family that if there is food that somebody has made, especially like you don't let it go to waste. Sure. Yes, you will eat that. Also, Grandpa had quite a sweet tooth. I have a distinct memory of Grandpa like sitting in the recliner, just like eating it. (laughs) We're just all, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. It was like, like, don't eat it on my for my sake, Grandpa. It's not. I won't be offended if you don't eat it. (laughs) Yes. Good food. So one of our memory food. One of our many food memories. Oh, man. Um, All right. And now, a special Double Cuzzies PSA. It's a fact. Everybody poops. When you do the do and one flush isn't enough. Courtesy flush. Because nobody, even you, wants to see those leftovers in the loo. So I think we talked about, you mentioned like a food network, people in our family. What other food influences, if any, did you have growing up? Or just expanding on that note, is there a specific age or moment in life where you remember taking independence over your interest in food and Mm -hmm. experimenting yourself? So I was definitely, I still am very much a self-proclaimed carnivore, and I think our, mm-hmm. our family is like heavy red meat eaters, especially for Asians. Like you met, you you know, alluded to steak dinners, and I think mm-hmm. grandpa was a butcher, and that was always very present uh, in, in our family meals, and for people who aren't, who weren't uh, part of that family when they would come to dinners, that would be jarring. But I think like the reason why that sticks out to me is because one of the early dishes that I used to make for myself as a kid was steak and eggs <laughs> and it was because it was those little bre- they're called breakfast steaks the which are the, ones, yeah, the yeah. thin like, they're almost like chicken cutlets but steak and that was something that I learned how to pan fry for myself and fry an egg and mm-hmm. eat with rice and that was a very simple meal where if I needed to make something for myself and this was probably I want to say around the age of maybe 11 
ish when it was like safe for me to be cooking things by myself but then the very first things i think that i remember involved with like food prep anyways as a kid was you always learn how to wash rice that's like one of the first things that you learn how to do and then you're always put on the grunt work of picking all the bean sprouts and snapping all the green beans. And, yeah. and so to this day, I hate that. But to this day, I'm offended when I see a whole intact bean sprout. I'm like, why didn't yeah. they take off the gross brown end? Because they don't love you. It's because the person doesn't love you enough. <laughs> it's not like our moms and our grandmothers painstakingly <laughs> picking off all of the things from the, the gross parts from the bean sprouts. But yeah, I remember that as my experience growing up. And then I think uh, when I got older and when I got into college and it was like cooking for yourself, right? I think I, I tried to do a lot of cooking, actually, even when my freshman year when I was living in the dorms. One, because I didn't totally like the, you know, the food halls and stuff, but then also just like health wise, wanted to be able to cook more for myself. And, and so that was the first time of really cooking or like needing to plan all of my own meals and take care of my, all of my <laughs> own meals. And then I think when I started dating my husband very early on in college too, like he was also very independent and capable when it came to cooking and food and nutrition, but he had a completely different childhood experience than I did. Similar in some ways, but coming from a lot more of Japanese influence for the cuisines mm-hmm. that he grew up with. And so that was interesting because I wasn't really exposed to that growing up. Uh, and so expanding my understanding of what Japanese flavors are like and what some of the dishes that are like in that culture. And then now at this point, because we've been together for so long, we have a blended repertoire of, of things that I make, things that he makes, and like dishes that we both know how to make. And so it's definitely a blending of probably predominantly Asian food just because I understand those flavor profiles. But then, yeah, it's been it's been really fun to explore other cuisines together. I've gotten more into like Indian food since being mm. an adult. I don't really remember that being something that we grew up with really at all as kids. And yeah, so discovering some new things as adults and then learning how to make those or replicating those things has been really cool too. Mm-hmm. That's so nice to be able to share that with somebody. Yeah. So can I? <laughs> I obviously don't have it. must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. So Kaylee, what, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like I, clearly food is so important to us and to our families and, and I think that it, that is part a big part of my relationship, too, is, is that cultural bridge and then also just like the connection of being able to care, to take care of both of our kids, too. My husband's mm. very capable of doing that, as, as am I. But for you, though, how does food show up in your relationship, Kalia? I think if you listen this far in this conversation, you can tell it's very important in our family in a multitude of ways. And that's something that I, I still feel as an adult. But I've been in very few relationships where that's shared by my partner so it's in the beginning in this relationship it was hard for me to wrap my head around like why don't doesn't this person like care as much as I do it just took me the time to realize this person thinks about food more as fuel in like a very utilitarian way and Mm -hmm. that's no slight on me Mm -hmm. and that's because he was raised in a very different way he had to take care of himself because he was the youngest of a bunch of siblings so definitely to very different influences um, and two very different trains of thought when it comes to food in my relationship. But I think it it got to the point or has gotten to the point in the beginning, I was like, why doesn't this person care? And it's something that's very important to me, but that's no reflection on me, like how I am in this relationship. So now I, I kind of just do it for myself. Cooking is something that I feel is very fun and relaxing for me. And I'm able to share that 
with a partner and just make these things that I love and have fun with. And it's nice to be able to share a meal with somebody at the end of the day and express yourself in that way. It was weird at first because we didn't have that shared interest. Just took a little time to realize how that was informed. It's the eat to live mentality versus the live to eat. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that it's when we were talking, when you were talking about how in our family, it's very a way of expressing emotions that are maybe not sometimes expressed via words. And I think that within our family, we do have a mix of that dynamic, right? Where we have some people who, or some parts of our family where that is definitely the love language is thoughtfulness shown in preparing something for somebody else. Mm. But like acts of service. mm -hmm. But then I do think that we have other parts of our family where their love language is words and being very expressive with that and Mm -hmm. and I feel like my dad is one of those people where he he definitely did not he's not a cook you know he has more recently learned how to prepare meals for himself as an adult and everything and his love language is always very much like I always felt like he would tell me like I'm proud of you but I think the common thing within our family is that appreciation for food Mm -hmm. so it's like even if you are not the one preparing the food you really appreciate the work that goes into it and the complexity Mm -hmm. that goes into it and so I think maybe that's why I see that show up so much in my friendships as well and my Mm -hmm. relationships it's even if my friends are not Asian I do have non-Asian friends and I love them but I think one of the one of the like common things is that regardless of the background of my friend I feel like we we do talk about food a lot and so it's back to when you said my mom brought out like seven bags of chips because we were just hanging out I think it's I, I have that approach too if I'm socializing with people and they come over and it's just to hang out or we're not, it's not like we're going out to a restaurant or something, or they're just coming over to hang out. I will definitely make sure to have snacks <laughs> because I love snacks. But yeah, so I think that it's like a, a balance of making sure that people appreciate that you are expressing yourself in these ways, even if they don't express themselves in those ways. It's great when a person's love language or the way that you express yourself is by taking care of others. But that needs to be reciprocated yeah. if it's and not think, in like the same. a mutual understanding mm-hmm. of what those languages are. And I think an understanding of like your expectations too and where those right. are coming from. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think the expect this is the expectation thing. Yeah. It's like, like am I just setting this expectation just in my mind and formed just by myself? Because I do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I realized that, that's I found I not that really fair because this needs to be informed by the other person that I am. I'm in a relationship with or working on this with. So yeah, basically if you're expecting your partner to show that they care about you by making you some elaborate meal, you will be disappointed because that is not how they (laughs) are going to plan on showing that they appreciate and love you. (laughs) Yeah. You just have to, you have to appreciate the other things because um, it's not everybody's language. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's not everybody's language. But I feel that from our family. That's a lot of, as you said, that's the language and kind of acts of service and, and making this thing with care in our family. And that shows up a lot, which is something that I really love and something that I obviously do in my adult life because that's something that's it's a practice that's ingrained in us. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. You mentioned that like when I think when I was talking about growing up and having fun foods as well as pretty well rounded nutritional meals too, that we might have had very different childhoods. <laughs> what was your childhood like? What was that experience uh, well, with food? I think it seems like both of our moms did most of like the food prep and cooking in our homes. My mom is very American. She definitely knows like 
how to cook Chinese food. But I feel like when we were younger, our diet was very like 90s kid diet. Like I remember a lot of tang, mm. a lot of kids cuisines, like kid microwave cuisines, meals. Yes. Yeah. Not necessarily health minded things. Although when my mom did cook, she cooked quite often. When she did cook, it would be a grain and protein and vegetable. So something pretty well-rounded, but definitely I didn't feel like first and foremost is like this idea of a healthy meal. It was just whatever is good, whatever was easy to make. Whatever kids would eat also. Yeah. Were you a picky eater? I don't think so. And I I never remember my mom cooking things specifically for us. Like if it was a family meal, we would all just eat the same thing. But there is definitely a lot of like frivolous 90s kids, sugar-packed, salt-packed snacks in the house. Mm. Um, Kids' cuisines, when I remember, was a treat when we would be with a babysitter because that was something easy. But yeah, a lot of that kind of just convenience like fun food yeah so now that you're saying this i'm like oh yeah we had tv dinners too for sure we had those little tv trays too that Mm. you can sit and eat and now that i have kids they each have their own little trays and so we use those for for snacks and so we eat like on the ground a lot (laughs) but yet as you were talking about kid cuisine that's, that's the thing that popped up in my head because i have this sense memory of going over to your house as a kid and pulling out the freezer drawer and there being like the little penguin or whatever for the kids cuisine mm-hmm. yeah i definitely remember those oh i forget where what it was but recently i was somewhere and i smelled this combination of something and i was like that smells like the applesauce portion of kids cuisine it was like the sweet and savory smell and it was like it's exactly like the sweetness of the applesauce combined with the chicken nuggets in it mm-hmm. <laughs> with the essence of the plastic wrap yeah. <laughs> chemicals applesauce and chemicals a little je ne sais quoi a little plastic yeah. yeah. So kids cuisines, I remember eating a lot of uh, the Michelina's penne Alfredo with chicken. One of my favorites growing up. Those were like a dollar at the grocery store. And I remember mm-hmm. we'd always have those in the fridge and that'd be like a easy lunch or a snack. Did you eat a lot of fruit as a kid? No. Okay. So I think that's definitely something that's very different. And I think that even within my own household, like between me and my brother too, like I I think that, and I think that's something that's very Asian, like traditionally Asian, right? Where something sweet at the end of the meal or a sweet snack, but that's something that's not like sugary or something that's Mm. quote unquote, not too sweet. That's like the highest compliment for an Asian is, oh, it's not, it's perfect. It's not too sweet. And so my mom though, loves fruit, grew up eating all the fruits and growing up in Malaysia, having access to all of the fruits all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being exposed to different kinds of fruits and then always a snack or that was always a, an option of, would you like some fruit? And it was like this beautifully cut mm. plate of fruit. And, and that is something that I've learned is a very Asian thing. And I think that it's funny because my husband also didn't grow up eating uh, a lot of fruit or really that being something in his house. And mm-hmm. so now that we have kids, it's been a process of, of kind of teaching him of this is how you pick good fruit and mm. what fruit is bad and then how you cut and peel fruit in the most <laughs> optimal way, depending on the fruit. What were your school lunches like when you would take or did you take lunch to school when you were little? And what was that like? I actually I can't really recall specifically any times not taking lunch to school. 
And so mm. I think more more often than not, if not always, I took lunch. And it was usually like some sort of sandwich and then a little snack and a drink. School lunches are weird where when you think about mm. it, it's something that has to be, you have to be able to keep it at the right temperature or it has to be food safe for like mm. half of the day. And so that was always weird. Lunchables were never quite right. <laughs> Like, That's what I would eat. <laughs> yeah, you would just keep the the you would take the lunchables out of the fridge in the morning, and then by lunchtime it'd be just the right room temperature. <laughs> room temperature slices of meat and cheese. Mm. Yes, room temperature circles of meat, <laughs> <laughs> little meat disc. Yeah, so I think I would, as I recall, anyways, I would almost always take lunch to school, and mm. then when I was in high school. I think I would still take lunch to school. Yeah, when, when I was an upperclassman and then we could go off campus, mm-hmm. I would go and, and pick up food for lunch. So yeah, what about you? I never packed mm-hmm. my own lunches though. And that's something that I think I'm going to force my kids to do. When they you get never old. packed your own? You I don't think I ever packed my own lunch. I can't, mm-hmm. this is, I probably should have done some thinking about it. This is something <laughs> that we'll, we will ask our parents when we question. when we interview them. I remember a lot of generic Lunchables when I was in elementary school, like the store brand crackers, cheese, and lunch meat. That was almost a constant. I wasn't a picky eater, but when I was really little, I was a very uninterested eater. Mm. Like I just... You didn't want to try things. I don't think I really thought about food or cared about it. So my mom would just give me something that she knew I would eat. Sometimes that was just like lunch meat rolled up and with a toothpick put into mm-hmm. like little meat roll-ups homemade um, lunchable yeah exactly <laughs> and sometimes that was just uh bread with honey on it honey sandwich i remember you eating a lot of those now that you say that <laughs> yes <laughs> hey you know what though like i totally get it because having kids now like it's hard and you just want to make sure that they're eating something but then I I think always growing up of oh one more bite just one more bite and Mm -hmm. and now becoming a parent and like unlearning that behavior of if you're not hungry you shouldn't be eating things and to listen to your body (laughs) are you hungry maybe the thought about not wasting any food in our family (laughs) went a little too far in that sense (laughs) there's still times and when we have family dinners there'll be like a little bit left of everything everything in the middle of the table like we're eating family style and it'll always be like dad eat that yeah Michael, finish that and they're just like i am so fucking full <laughs> yeah. i can't do it and then they do it though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> somebody does it somebody ends up eating it yeah yeah that's and that's different than with my in-laws family versus ours and like, i think i mentioned on, on a previous conversation and maybe it didn't make it into the cut though of saving those little bites of food after mm. a meal and my mentality, whether right or wrong, is always just like, please either eat it or just throw it away because the chances of me eating those two bites of this thing like later are zero. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's always our, our family always says, it's like, oh, if I eat any more, it's going to go from good to gross. It's like <laughs> good to gross. I've hit my limit and now I really don't want to eat anymore. But somebody is forcing me to. Yeah. Pressure, so I have to. Yeah. yeah. But at least I, I don't think our family ever, I don't think that manifested itself in a really unhealthy way of just one more bite, one more bite, just eat the meat. Just eat the meat is the best though. Just like, it's the most expensive part. Just eat that. Expensive part. Yeah. Even when there's not somebody telling me to just eat the meat, I'll find myself like 
if we're out to dinner and I have a mixed like veggie and meat thing in front of me, I will just finish the meat even yeah. if I'm full. I'm like, I paid for that. Your inner voice. I paid for all of this, but I really paid for that. Yeah. You're, nobody's literally telling you that, but it's actually generations upon generations <laughs> of, of ancestors saying, just eat the meat. <laughs> you paid for it. It's like when you go to a buffet and it's, I'm going to get my money's worth out of the expensive things. And then if I have room, then I will eat some carbs. <laughs> yeah, definitely have to prioritize how you're using the, sp- the space that you have in your stomach. Yeah. Given then that we did have very different childhoods and, you know, that your relationship with food has changed as you've gotten older because, you know, clearly you have a strong emphasis on nutrition and and cooking food and just like food in general. When do you think that sort of changed for you? I remember a key point where my interest and curiosity about food changes. I remember the moment very detailed. It was, I was at home with my brother and my mom and dad. It was actually after Samku's funeral and my mom was making a snack for us because we were getting together later, I think, but she needed something to hold us over. And she threw together just like penne pasta and she saw she like made homemade mac and cheese and I watched her make it, and I was like, oh, that's how that's made. That's what goes into it. And I was probably around 10, maybe, at that time. But maybe it was just, like, the events of that day that made that memory ingrained. Yeah. Uh, but I remember that's when the magic happened. And I think that's common for a lot of people who are interested in cooking. They, they say, oh, I was making... Uh, boxed pudding and it all came together and it was really amazing that's what that was for me and I think I just became more interested in the process at that time and that probably coincided a lot when I was watching began watching Food Network that interest happened and when that channel really picked up and there are these personalities and certain styles on these shows I think in childhood that's when that turning point was for me and then in adulthood focusing more on healthy things and quality of food probably happened in my late 20s like I could always cook for myself for most people in their early 20s they can eat anything and they feel the same their body stays the same invincible (laughs) what'd you say invincible in your 20s yes yes in your early 20s but I remember being probably like 27 and everything changed and I realized I need to move deliberately and exercise (laughs) and really think about the food that I'm cooking that's been a little bit more recent or within the past few years but I think for me it's I find it very gratifying to be able to have that knowledge and implement it for myself and then also for me at the end of a day or just during the day being able to see the process of cooking a meal from start to finish is very gratifying Mm -hmm. too and something I enjoy I'm very happy that food and cooking is a a joyful and enjoyable thing for myself and I think a lot of that is influenced by how we thought about food as a family and those examples that we had Mm -hmm. yeah I think similar to you like in I think maybe a little bit earlier for me in college where it started hitting. (laughs) My body was different than high school. (laughs) And definitely 30s was different than 20s. But I think where I really started noticing the difference, because I was so active in high school and I played so many sports, like my metabolism was crazy high. And so I never had to worry about like, the amount of food that I was ingesting, what I was ingesting, because I was just going to burn it off. And I I did make sure I always ate very like 
healthy snacks and substantial meals because I needed it for energy. And then when I got to college, it was to your point of, oh, I need to move deliberately because it's not like I have three hours of sports practice a day or something like that. And so it was like, yeah, the freshman 15, but then your body's just changing and parties. <laughs> too. And, uh, the introduction of alcohol. Yeah, into your yeah. I think it was like, a, I don't know what you're talking about, Kalia. I wasn't 21 when I joined, when I started college. So I don't know what you're referring to. But yeah, it's relearning or learning, I guess, maybe for in some ways the first time of, okay, how do you feed yourself <laughs> and how do you like power yourself? And then I remember when I think the only time where I ever was aware of or felt any sort of hangups related to food was when I was studying abroad in Hong Kong for a semester. Mm -hmm. And I remember going on that semester abroad very explicitly saying to myself and to, uh, to friends and family of, I'm going to eat everything because... <laughs> It's like I was going over there, you know, that was one of the things is that I was like immerse myself mm. in the culture, the language, like the people, and then also the food being a huge part of that. Mm. And I would hang out with a lot of the other exchange students and we were going somewhere and a guy made a comment of, oh, good. Emily's here. She always has the best snacks. <laughs> and... And in hindsight, I'm like, that was obviously a great compliment. But at the time, I was very aware of the fact that I had gained quite a bit of weight while I had been there. And so it was, what is that supposed to mean? And it's like, why am I that person known as, oh, she's the one with the snacks? And then, but now that I think about it and like, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm the one with the snacks. And it's like, that has nothing to do with like my own body shape, size or image. And I guess maybe it's like really embracing my role as a mom. <laughs> That I've just, I felt like I've always been a mom in that sense of I've always had snacks or, always oh, your prepared. hands are dirty. Here's a wipe. They're like just very prepared. And so that being a part of it. And yeah, it takes on a new lens too, for sure. Like food as just like the eat to live mentality when you have little mm -hmm. kids and you're just trying to make sure that they're not starving. And I definitely miss the ability to like just really dedicate myself to preparing food in a very thoughtful way, as opposed to most of the time just trying to think of like, how do I get dinner on the table? Mm. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, that definitely changes things when you're trying to get two little kids to eat yeah and it's working the full day and then the afternoon rolls around and then by five o'clock it's like, oh what are we gonna eat now mm. and it's like the last thing that I want to have to think about <laughs> so, so yeah I was, I'm having friends over for dinner tomorrow and I was thinking because this is the way I am and our family is I was thinking like oh what what am I gonna cook a couple of days ago <laughs> yeah you're ma menu planning and I still haven't figured it out but I remember you saying if it was up to you when you have to feed the kids sometimes you would just like you'll just give them cereal because you know that they're gonna eat that and it's like nutritious it'll fill them up yeah or it's actually it's actually I will make a nutritious meal well-balanced meal for them and then I'm oh, like, I don't have any energy to make anything for myself so I'm going to eat the cereal, eat cereal. <laughs> yes yeah but I was thinking how funny would it be if I just like served bowls of cereal <laughs> please do it oh my god and report back I would love to know I, I think it's funny when I go over to a friend's house though um in friends with kids they always have snacks. You know that they, because you, you have to have snacks. That's how kids are, yeah. Yeah, like they're going to they're gonna snack and graze throughout the day more than sit down and have a, a full meal. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, yeah, you could always count on your friends with kids to have the fruit snacks and like the mm -hmm. chips. And if you wanted, Cookies. always <laughs> milk. They'll always have milk too. They can go from being really good eaters to like they want to mm -hmm. try everything and they just eat anything in front of them. And that's where my one-year-old is right now. She's a really good eater. 
later, which is also why she was massive. But then it's like a light switch goes off and it's like, nope, don't want to eat that. Nope, don't want to eat anything. And uh, and so I'm I'm kind of waiting for him to get out of that phase again. They both of them express an interest in food, though. Um, they're mm-hmm. both really snackers. They're both little raccoons. Like if you're eating something, they'll like run over to you. And they're like, what <laughs> they'll is climb that? on you. Yeah, and they both love play cooking too. And so oh. and and real cooking. You know, the older one, like whenever we're cooking something, he goes, "I help, I help, I cook." And so he'll come <laughs> over, and and so I'm looking forward to like when they get a little bit older, and and you know, <laughs> Kiki was was peeling green beans last week. You know? oh, so, the yeah, I was teaching them. The I was teaching them how to wash the rice. I'm going to teach them the finger method for how to measure water. Like, um, yeah, and so it's just like it's these really distinct memories that we have as kids that I'm looking forward to creating for my kids, and then and having that connection with them over food too. So, oh, I love that. Yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah, cool. I have a compliment for you though. We wanted to do compliments. Okay, you're like Are, we're just doing one though, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. like I'm just giving you one. Because I, okay, I don't have one. Yeah, yeah that's fine. The well is okay. dry, we've decided. We're just like, we had to alternate these because we didn't have enough material. So I think my compliment for you this week, Kalia, and I had hinted at it a little bit, I think, in some text messages that we had. But I think that knowing you so well, and we talk a lot about what the perception is of us, like either within the family or within mm-hmm. a friend group or work or whatever, and I think one of the things that I've really come to appreciate about you over the course of doing this podcast anyways, is that you are in, an incredibly deep thinker about a lot of things. And I think that not many people think that about you mm-hmm. when they look at you just because you are also strikingly physically beautiful and very well put together. And so I think that, you know, they see you as this beautiful person, but that they don't understand that you are actually thinking at a very deep level about these things, about a lot of big things too. And so I think that like you talked about your briefly about like your modeling experience and stuff. And so I think that there is like this tendency for people to, have this impression of you of that like you are incredibly effortlessly cool and that's accurate that's completely accurate but I would equate it to like you're like a graceful swan on a lake (laughs) you know where it's like all you see is sort of that that smooth beautiful swan gliding across but the work underneath the water I think a lot of people don't get to see that or know that mm-hmm. about you and I think because you are at least on one side of our family you're the youngest of the kind mm-hmm. of the cousins or the grandkids too so you're the baby of the family even though you're not <laughs> none of us are babies anymore mm-hmm. uh, and so I think it's really been nice to have this platform to be able to have these deeper discussions with you and to be able to share that side of you with other people too. And because Mm -hmm. it's like, it's great that I get to see it, but I'm so happy that other people get to hear it too. Thank you for sharing that. I've enjoyed that too, being able to talk to you about these things and kind of expressing ourselves in a different way that we normally don't do or honestly don't do around other members of the family. Mm -hmm. So it feels nice to have an outlet and it feels nice to be seen in that way Mm -hmm. thank you yeah and I've heard from people who like who know both of us say oh I know I don't know no Kalia I don't know her that well and so I think that this has been like a really great 
art project. <laughs> a great way of expressing ourselves in the comfort of expressing ourselves with each other, but then sharing those thoughts with other people too. Yeah. And to be quite honest, I'm not comfortable with expressing myself in this way to mass amounts of people. So I'm glad that we're doing this, that we can use this as an outlet, that we can be this way with each other and that we're getting a little more comfortable putting it out there. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's definitely, as you've said, it's a practice, <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Practice and getting more confident in sharing these thoughts with people. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but that is my compliment yes, for you I this think week. Just, we'll continue thinking it, about it as an art project and that'll take the pressure off. And with that, play the outro. Like and subscribe and give us some money on Patreon, please. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Double Cuzzies, where we're cousins. And friends. But most importantly, we're family. Bye. Bye.